Hey everyone, this is John. We had a bit of an issue with Andy's audio on the podcast this week in that it didn't record. So what you're about to hear is the best I could possibly cobble together from our interview with our guest this week, sans Andy's audio, and I did my best to uh, fill in the gaps where I could. So it may not be the most coherent podcast you've ever listened to, but enjoy. special series we're doing this summer. We're ranking all the seasons of Survivor, and we're bringing on guests to do so with us. This is, of course, the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast. I'm John. My co-host is Andy. And all the way from across the pond, this is Michelle, who's been on the show before. Michelle, welcome back. Hi, thank you. And thanks for coming across all those ponds for me. (laughs) No problem. It's actually my internet that's doing it for me. I would never exert that much. Anyway, back on track here. So we're talking about three seasons tonight. Token Teens, well, actually, I won't even spoil what the other two are because uh, we're going to talk about Token Teens first. Michelle had this one ranked number one on her list. And Michelle, tell us why that is. It was one of the first ones that I had started watching and I just really, I really enjoyed it. And I do have a soft spot for JT, so that probably made me a little biased. But it's just a good season. It's a good season throughout with some minor annoyances. Speaking of those minor annoyances, this was the first ever appearance of Coach, and also the only one that he was ever remotely tolerable. He was tolerable, but there were other appearances where he was okay for short periods of time. Let's hit on some of the high points of Coach from this season, because before we even get into the other highlights of the season, Coach, this was the season that he claimed he'd been abducted and almost boiled and or eaten by pygmies, which I feel like that's a plot from a Bugs Bunny cartoon that Coach just applied to his life somehow. But he still, to this day, claims that this was a true story. Um, he also inexplicably claimed that when he got sent to Exile Island, he would not eat or drink while he was there, but knowing Coach, he probably did, because he's full of shit. And then, of course, he casually claimed that he had played a game before where you have to throw things to break tiles before he ever went on Survivor. This was after a challenge where he had to break tiles, and they said, well, you know, no one's ever had to do this before, and Coach raises his hand and casually says, I have, as if it's a totally normal thing to have done in his life. Maybe that's just how he renovates his bathroom. Oh, you know what? That's actually, I got a bathroom reno coming up. That's a good idea. I'm going to use that as my practice. Me and Coach are the only ones that have ever done this before. We actually played on Survivor. I am Andy, and I would like to completely spoil this whole project by asking John if he is Token Teens ranked number one on his list. Oh, I'm not going to go ahead and spoil it yet. And plus, my rankings are very fluid. I actually have changed some of my, my rankings already based on the people that we've talked to. Uh, but... I will say, yes, I am very, very big on this season. It is, definitely is in contention for me for the number one spot. See, I just find it a fun, like, it's a fun season. It's There's there's no point throughout where you just go, oh, this really sucks, or oh, this is stupid, or you, you get consistently entertained. I say that with the exception of some of Coach's moments. Oh, see, I think at least Coach's moments were entertaining for the most part, and I totally agree, though. This was... The most fun, that's probably the best way to describe it. It probably is the most fun season, and especially the most fun newbie season. Although there's some pretty close challengers to that, but I would probably rank this 
right up there among my favorite all newbie seasons. I should point out, by the way, that, you know, we already mentioned this was Coach's first appearance. It is also Tyson at his hilarious best, except in hindsight, he was really, really cruel to Sierra. But at the time, I didn't feel bad for her because I'm a terrible person and I just thought it was hilarious, everything he was saying about her. But Tyson is pretty vicious to Sierra for this throughout this season. That's something that I was surprised by on rewatch. Like when I watched it, I was like, dude is harsh. But on rewatch, I was like, this is cruel. He's, he loses some of his shine when you say too much of him. Well, luckily for me, I haven't watched it again. So I'm just going to have uh, my untainted memories of how hilarious he was to me at the time. Michelle, is this your favorite version of Tyson? Or did I, you like Heroes vs. Villains or Blood vs. Water Tyson better? I liked Blood vs. Water Tyson better. He was still he was still cruel, but you actually saw some humanity there. I didn't mind Heroes vs. Villains Tyson. I've always like I've always found him to be a bit bothersome in how he can be a bit mean and cruel, but he does balance it out with entertainment. Here's me, Andy, being Canadian and asking a question or making a comment of some sort. And sounding vaguely like Rupert, maybe. I could not possibly choose anyone other than Tyson for my highlight of the season. So I picked Tyson's speech at the Tribal Council about who he was friends with, (laughs) where he names every single person there, including the lone juror, except for Sierra. And you can see the joke coming a mile away, but it's still hilarious. Jeff asks him, oh, who are your friends? He names every person except Sierra. And she just sits there the whole time, knowing what's coming and just shaking her head. It's fantastic. My my highlight has to be JT and Steven's burgeoning friendship. It was just beautiful to watch. It's a showman's like no other. Speaking of showmances, by the way, I, <laughs> I mentioned this only because I was looking over the cast when I was uh, doing research for what we were going to talk about for this season. And this was an insanely attractive cast. It, I know that we nominated Aaron, or I nominated Aaron, for the Brains, Brawn, and Beauty fan casting thing we did. But there was other people on this cast, too. Candace, Carolina, Sydney, Sierra. And then I'll leave it up to Michelle to determine the the male crop here. But I'm sure she was gung-ho on Coach and Steven. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd, take, I'd take Steven over Coach any day. But it sounded like, though, that you were a, a JT girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what about Brendan? Does Brendan crack the list? Yeah, he was, he was all right. He's more, like, typically attractive than JT, I think. He's, like, you put him, you can kind of put him in a room with a bunch of other people that look like him. But, yeah, they're attractive. Okay, so the, the guys did okay. There was at least some people that made your list. And I'll ask you this specifically because you're an Australian. Do you have the equivalent of Southerners in Australia? Not really. Like, you can tell where people are from because of their accents, but we don't really have anyone with a southerner accent. Yeah, I've definitely pinned you down as Australian based on your accent. Is that what you mean? Yeah, but I'm not, like, ochre Australian. If there was me and other Australians, you could tell that we were from different states. I couldn't tell anyway. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, we we had two different Canadians on last week, and I couldn't have told the difference it really did seem like everyone was just happy to push JT to the end and let him get the million dollars. Actually, this sort of leads into my answer for our second 
stock question that we always do, which is the defining player of the season. I had so many candidates, and it, well, it's it's basically three main ones: JT, Steven, and Taj, because they're so lovable. They come in, and it's three of them, vastly outnumbered, and they get pushed to the end. Basically, I mean, Taj goes out slightly before the others, but. The, it's like the other tribe was just willing to lay down because everyone so loved JT, Steven, and Taj. <laughs> That's kind of what makes the season good, is that in this situation you see you see three against you know everyone else, and you go, oh, well, this is going to be predictable, and it's not. They can they get through, and that's what that's when Survivor's good. It's when you get scenarios like that where you think, oh, yeah, we know how this is going, and it doesn't go that way. So. If you had to pick one defining player, Michelle, who would it be? It would be JT. I am Andy and I would like to discuss JT as an underdog and why we rooted for him but not for Chris from Vanuatu. Forgive my very Canadian pronunciation of Vanuatu. I would also like to discuss all the women from Survivor that JT has dated. That's the thing, the underdog, the underdog story works well when you like the people. If it was three people that we hated and then they made it through, then it wouldn't be as good. But because they make the underdogs likable, that's why we fall for them. That's an excellent point and something that we'll have to bring up when we discuss the next season because the underdogs were far less likable. Oh, yeah. Token Sheens, I, I have to say, I didn't end up using this as the biggest highlight of the season, but the casting on this season is just amazing. I love so many of the players from this season. It kind of feels like they blew their load on great players in this season, and then just in later seasons, they were just tapped out. They didn't have as many good people to spread around. So then, what was the biggest flaw? (laughs) Well, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say the amount of time devoted to coach. Really? Oh, you guys are so down on the coach thing. I Seriously, I mean... They just pushed it too hard. That's true. But if you're going to have coach... This is the version of coach that I'd prefer. Like, to me, I could actually stand to watch him on my screen. I found him vaguely amusing. I never got that feeling again in his later appearances. It got so boring and predict- Like, when we were watching him on Exile Island, for example, they just devoted so much time to just us basking in the coachness of it all. Um, and it just got boring. Like, he's entertaining to a point, but then when you're just forced in and you just have to watch him do coach. It just gets boring. The gimmick runs dry. Uh, but, I mean, again, you do get the payoff of Coach's assistant coach coming as his loved one. Yeah, he, he provided good entertainment. I am Andy, and I agree with Michelle about Coach being the biggest flaw. Well, you guys are both wrong. The biggest flaw of the season is that Tyson went home too early. <laughs> the only reason it's not a bigger flaw is that the rest of the cast was so good that it it wasn't quite as devastating to have Tyson go home as early as he did. So let's move on to the next season because I sort of teased it earlier. Michelle had this season ranked number eight. And to be fair, she only ranked 14 seasons. So that's why she ends up talking about it. Um, but hilariously, this is the highest that one world was ranked and I think it's only really there because Michelle hated some other seasons that she'd seen more than this one. Michelle, you want to justify your ranking for this season? This season has one of the things I most enjoy about Survivor and the thing that I least enjoy about Survivor. So it had it had something, whereas 
the other seasons that I ranked below it were just, they're just pools of nothingness in my mind. They were just so boring or so bad that, ugh. Whereas this season at least had something. And what was that memorable something? That memorable something was Kim. Oh, good. I was worried you were going to say Colton. Ugh. In my notes to one of the questions, I've just, instead of explaining Colton, I've just written, ugh. Say no more. That says it all. But yeah, I mean, just Kim's pal, pal play, how, how she seems to seamlessly play the game, and for a first-timer, and for a female, it was just, it was good to watch. So, a couple notes about this season, before we get on to our questions about it. This was the first time that a tribe ever willingly gave up immunity without being offered something in return. I'm throwing in that caveat there, because we'll discuss eventually another season where it happens. Spoiler, it's Fiji. And that was insane. That was just something we had never seen before. It was also, speaking of things we'd never seen before, the first season, and only so far, with an all-female final three. So, yay girl power. I am Andy and I would like to dispute that claim by pointing out that Micronesia had an all-female final three. Don't you love my Canadian accent? Oh, but there was an actual final three here, not a... Sorry, I should clarify. Yes, yes, yes. Final three at Final Tribal Council were all women. Yes, and actually the the final five here were all women, and most of them, as an aside, pretty hot. And in general, pretty hot cast for both the guys and the ladies. I'll let you go ahead and second that opinion, Michelle. Yeah, I mean, if to be honest, with all the guys and the ladies, I the, I like the ladies. Obviously, I prefer the men, but there were some good-looking ladies. There was good-looking people on both sides, and... I am Andy, and I would like to comment on the sexual attractiveness of Tarzan. <laughs> Aww. Aww. He was the one I had ranked number one. <laughs> <laughs> what, not Troyzan? Oh, it it was a toss-up there for a while. And, and Leaf made his run, too, but in the end, I'm a Jay Byers man all the way. So, another, actually this wasn't a first, but they had, uh, they had challenges where the players had to essentially do the challenge and play the role of host themselves. And it didn't occur to me until I was, you know, doing my research for this season. Do you guys think that Probes just, that was his sick day? He called in sick to work or he was hungover or something? Because it never occurred to me before that the reason they did that was, you know, Probst is vomiting in a hotel room and he's trying to button up his blue shirt and get to work. And they're like, no, 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 it's cool. Don't worry about it. We'll figure something out. Perhaps he realized that this cast was awful and he was trying to avoid them. Ha ha ha. I am Andy and I make jokes. That's what I was thinking. He just was like, no, I don't feel like being around these people. I mean, that could be. This was the season where he said that it had two of the people with the lowest IQs that he'd seen on. Yes, so, so that's what I was just about to hit on. He he pretty much confirmed, I, I thought he pretty much confirmed it in one of his recent interviews. It seems very likely that this is the season that he was talking about with the two low IQ players. Uh, he was on an interview with Chuck Klosterman. You can find it on the internet somewhere. I'm sure someone has transcribed it because... There are other survivor nerds on the internet, but he said that there were two very low IQ players in this game that he thought might struggle later in life. 
We have speculated several times on this show as to who the two are, and I think there's a near universal consensus that Leaf is one of those two. That's what I assumed the consensus was. Okay, and so the second one we're guessing is Cat? I don't know, there's something about Cat that kind of makes me think that she could, there's, there's something in there. There certainly is, but the question is, is it working? <laughs> well, I I was really endeared to Kat when she made her speech about having her heart problems. And I think, her, I mean, I think that's carried me over with some goodwill. I mean, watching her in other seasons and things that she said have just made me shake my head and go, no, you're better than this. Somewhere in there, you're better than this. I wouldn't be surprised if it was her. I just want to believe that there's something. <laughs> so we actually had the discussion at the time, I think, when the probes comment came out, there was a whole bunch of us who were discussing, you know, who is it? Who is it? And so we narrowed it down. And I think Leaf was on every list. And there was a few other candidates for this other spot. But I think Cat was the most frequently appearing name on there. Normally, I would ask who the defining player of the season is. But in this case, it is not necessary, right? Just as there is no argument that Tim Hortons makes the best coffee. Yeah, we don't even need to discuss the defining player of the season because it, it's Kim. For the most part, not a stellar cast in any other area except for beauty, which they shine in. I am Andy and I would like to discuss the biggest flaw of the season before I begin singing O Canada. My biggest flaw of the season is when everyone essentially admits at the reward challenge that Kim is the best, everyone loves her, they trust her completely... And nobody sees this as a sign that Kim is going to win the game. I think there was like, you know, there's six, seven people left at that point. And that should be a big red flag to everyone else in the game. Like, oh, we don't want to take Kim to the end because she will beat all of us. We're all admitting publicly we like Kim the most. We would vote for her. It's almost a JT situation. Another flaw I had was when they, uh, when they mixed tribes, the New Salani tribe was one of those ones where it's like, yep, they're going to win most of the challenges, and yep, they did. But yeah, obviously, Colton was the biggest flaw. I mean, Survivor always has its people that are kind of, they cross they cross the line into being mean, but he's just outright bullying and went too far so often. Well, it's funny that we're discussing this right after Token Teens, where I said that, you know, I laughed even though Tyson was being cruel. I didn't laugh at the way Colton was being cruel. It wasn't funny, it was just mean, and to people who, at least from what we could observe, totally didn't do anything to deserve the treatment that they got from him. Don't forget that Colton told Christina to walk into the ocean and drown. Saying such a thing in Canada would get you deported. And there have been times when Tyson has come very close to saying that about people. But when Colton said it, you just go, no, they shouldn't, like, this is the time when you stop and you go, no, this isn't okay. We don't want to be showing this to, to the general public. But at least at least Alicia got some form of confidence when Colton kept the idol. Because, I mean, she was just as bad and she was egging him on and then it got her nowhere because he didn't give her the idol. That was That was a small victory. Yeah, he's laying there like, oh, my tummy, I got to go. And they're like, what are you going to do with your idol? I'm just going to hold on to this. And off he goes, holding an idol. 
My computerized Andy voice is getting tired in more ways than one. Let's wrap this thing up. Yeah, let's close this out. So Michelle had this ranked 12th out of the 14 on her list, and she's only getting to discuss this one because we've already discussed the two that she had ranked lower than this. So, Michelle, tell us why exactly South Pacific is so terrible. <laughs> everything about it. No. It's not everything about it was terrible. Most things. You're, you're almost right. It's most things. The cast wasn't great. Uh, Redemption Island and the general, also the general bullying that went on. And just people weren't good at Survivor. That's, that's basically what it was. Like it's not. In what specific way? In strategy? But, I mean, there were some good strategy moments, but you know how you see, you know how you see some seasons and the, they, you see them like, okay, this person's thought this strategy through and okay, this is kind of unpredictable, but in a good way. In this season, I mean, you had Ozzy and Coach, they clearly had their strategies and tried to push their strategies through, but most other people were just forgettable and it just, it's, Kind of not a boring season because there was bad stuff. To it. it was boring. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I concur with that one. Yeah, like there was some good. There were some good things where you go, okay, more moments like this, and you can kind of piece together a half decent season of Survivor. But just the combination of the casting, the strategy, and how everything worked together, it just didn't work. The overlooked thing here about Redemption Island on this season is Ozzy was voted out three times. He could have won this season despite being voted out twice. How ridiculous would that have been? The one thing about Redemption Island I would give it is that Ozzy's strategy of volunteering to be voted out, that was at least a moment of, like, survivor strategy. Let's please discuss a little more about this terrible season, John. So I have some fun notes about this season before we go on. Uh, First of all, the internet rumors, which are always the most trustworthy things, is that the initial offer was to Ethan and Jenna to take the returnee spots. I think I've mentioned this elsewhere, but they refused. Um, and Shane was supposedly considered for the Aussie spot once they decided on coach. But for reasons that nobody knows or cares about, they went with Aussie instead. But perhaps the most fun trivia that I found about this season, this was the fourth straight season that they filmed in Samoa. Every single one of those seasons was won by a woman. It went Natalie, Sandra, Kim, Sophie. Well done, ladies. That is a piece of trivia. Oh, and Sophie is also only the second new player to beat a returning player. She joins Danny Boatwright, who did it first, which then makes Danny Boatwright better than Chris from Vanuatu. I am Andy, and I would like to discuss the biggest flaw of the season before I begin singing O Canada terrible terrible casting they had like we said the two awful returnees but we also had the introduction of brandon hans which was terrible the only semi salvageable names that i could come up with from this cast that i was like oh i didn't mind them so much were cochran dawn jim and sophie that's the best i could do and keep in mind dawn had a nervous breakdown on like the third or fourth day Right, but I at least remember Dawn as the uh, crazy, jacked Mormon mom. She was at least interesting. Well, I do have to give Brandon credit for the fact that he made a credible argument and he turned to Cochrane and he defended Cochrane. Like, that at least in all the 
other Brandon crap, there's at least that one little moment where Brandon was a good guy. See, the biggest flaw was that there was just the combination of bad things. Like, if it had just been bad casting, but everything else had been alright, then it wouldn't be so bad. But because it was bad casting, Redemption Island, crazy people, returnees that made no sense, like every little aspect of it. And it comes down to likability again. If it's a group that forms an alliance the first day and sticks together throughout, but you like them, then sure, it's boring, but at least it's kind of pleasantly boring. When it's people that you don't like and you don't care about and you don't want them to win, then seeing them go through, just it doesn't hold anything for the viewer. Right, exactly. It's sort of like the one world that we were just talking about where, you know, Troy Zan as the underdog, you're supposed to root for him. I didn't like him. I don't care if he wins. You know, I'm not rooting for this this group of five to get to the end because they're likable. They're all terrible. And actually, this should, for everybody, clarify why I think this season is so terrible because I would answer Coach as the defining player of the season. That should tell you how terrible this season was. Michelle, you agree? Yeah. And sadly, I think he probably played, I mean, it's at least a 1A, 1B situation, the best game along with Sophie. Michelle, any final opinions on South Pacific? Not really. <laughs> this is going to be in contention for the bottom. Actually, spoiler alert, Nicaragua is last on my list, no matter what anybody says. But this is in close contention for next to last. I mean, if you were a really big fan of certain aspects of Coach, then maybe you would enjoy it. But Well, he actually could have taken a cue from Tyson, who people thought was just uh, the court jester type. And I think that's why Tyson made it so far in Blood vs. Water, is everybody's like, oh, you know, Tyson's not a real huge strategic guy. He's just kind of a, you know, he likes to make jokes, and he's funny through the camera, but he's not a big threat. And then... You know, at the end, everyone realizes they've all been played. If Coach had done something like that, maybe he wins. Please tweet us at Purple Rock Pod and try to defend this season. I'm really anxious to see if anybody can mount a legitimate defense for this season. Maybe if you really like the Keith and Whitney love story. Oh, God. I would like to take this opportunity to thank our guest Michelle in the traditional Canadian way by sending her maple syrup and beaver pelts. Michelle, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on. As always, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at PurpleRockPod, via Gmail at PurpleRockPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on WordPress, PurpleRockPodcast.wordpress.com, or you can contact us in another way. Oh, you should leave us a Skype voicemail at JRPurpleRock, and if it's a decent voicemail, we'll actually play it on the show. Cue the theme music. But first, let's hear what John's baby thought of the editing on this episode of the podcast. Poopy.